0: Life is a series of circles and cycles, phrases and stages. These experiences teach you the lessons of life. You can either ignore them or embrace them. Welcome to... It's Your Life with James Cooley. James is a motivational speaker, author, military veteran, and founder of the J.C. Cooley Foundation. James is here to equip you to strive for greatness and overcome adversity. It's time to get equipped today for the challenges of tomorrow. Now, here's the host of It's Your Life, James Cooley.
1: Hello, welcome to It's Your Life. I'm James Cooley. And wow, I tell you, we got a a smashing of a show coming your way, uh, but we got a serious show. Uh, that uh, this happening out in our society, I mean, uh, overly large increase of suicides and depression, uh, especially during the year of COVID. And um, I think this is something that uh, we all need to talk about and try to come up with some solutions on how we're going to get this done or how we're going to help each other. So uh, I got two fantastic guests. But first of all, before I get to that, I want to say hello to my uh, co-host. How you doing out there, Michelle?
2: I'm doing great, James. I am excited about the show today, uh, about this topic and how we can um, create awareness and just education regarding um, the issue of suicide. Wow,
1: and you're right. It's, it has been a major issue, just like I mentioned uh, during this uh, COVID era. And we're still in it. We're still in it. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of people out there, I believe, need help and they need solutions or didn't need uh, just someone to listen to. So today we have two of the vets. And these guests been on my show before. They are fantastic. They are wonderful. They're doing great things. You know, and uh, our first guest, so I'm just going to introduce you to her. Her name is Lizette Lopez. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about her when we get to her. How you doing, Lizette?
3: I'm doing good, just embracing the cold, or what we consider cold in L.A. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, yes, it is cold here a little bit. We're in California, kind of chilly right now, but that's okay. And we also got Jordan Colbert. Uh, Colbert. How are you doing, Jordan?
4: I'm doing well, JC. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me here. And uh, like Lizette, I'm, I'm also trying to deal with this cold weather in the 50s. <laughs>
1: You know, I tell you. Hey, Michelle, why don't you tell uh, our listeners a little bit about the purpose of the show today?
2: That'll be great. The purpose of this show is to identify the increase in suicide rates over the last year, the warning signs of suicide, and to provide knowledge and recommendations on suicide prevention.
1: Wow. You know, so we got a lot to cover. Uh, I always like to give my thoughts. Um my opinion. You know, and, and they are. Suicide has become an increasingly prominent public health issue. Close to eight hundred thousand people die due to suicides every year, which is one person in every forty seconds. Suicide is a global phenomenon and occurs throughout a person's lifespan. Why is this happening? That's the big question. Why is this happening? Most mental health experts relate the causes of depression, anxiety, disorder, confusion, and hopelessness as the leading cause of suicide. How can we help aid and provide resources, assistance, uh, care, uh, so that we might be able to bring uh, this epidemic down a little bit? I believe we all have purpose. I believe God has placed us on this earth to prosper and to be a seed and to also be a, a beacon of buzzer for anybody that's looking for help. So today's show is going to focus on some of the things, some of the signs, um, why people feel this way, how they deepen into depression. And just like I said, we got two great people that's going to help us out with this one. So without further delay, Michelle, can you uh, uh, introduce our first guest?
2: Yes, our first guest is Lizette Lopez. Lizette Lopez is a dedicated licensed marriage and family therapist who grew up in South Los Angeles. Rising as a first-generation college student, Lizette previously held a career in the legal sector prior to her transition to the mental health field. She is an active member of the California Association for Marriage and Family Therapists And is listed in psychology today with specialization in trauma and post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, and depression. Her practice history includes cognitive behavioral therapy, structural family therapy, and positive psychology approaches, among others. Lizette graduated from UC Santa Barbara in 2011 with a BA in feminist studies and minor in applied psychology. Following a stint as a legal professional, Lizette moved on to obtain a Master's in Marriage and Family Therapy from USC. Now working as a licensed clinical therapist in Long Beach, California, she sees clients of all ages and various diagnoses. Lizette is a co-founder of the USC Spanish Workshop Series, which is helping to train current MFT students in Spanish clinical skills. Lizette is in the process of writing a book and developing her private practice into an encompassing mental wellness spa. It's Your Life is proud to present Lizette Lopez. Welcome to the
1: show, Lizette. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today?
2: I'm
3: doing well. I'm excited to be here, and I'm very proud to be presenting this topic because I know that it's important that we discuss it and that people have education and information about this very heavy uh, situation, especially during this time.
1: Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself uh, and where where you're from?
3: Yeah, so I'm from Linwood, California. That's uh, the city that's right next to Compton, California, how it's more easily recognized. I am a first-generation college graduate, which means that my parents did not attend college. They actually immigrated from Mexico, and it was, you know, a very poverty-stricken upbringing, which has helped me learn a lot about what people's struggles continue to be and helped me realize what I wanted to do with my life, which was help others that were raised in a situation similar to mine.
1: What inspired you to become a licensed marriage and family therapist?
3: My father is actually diagnosed bipolar one, which is considered one of the more severe mental health disorders. So I knew from my upbringing and the lack of resources that I wanted to do something about what was happening. So in actually in my book that was mentioned in the bio, I discussed my experiences as a, a daughter of immigrants who experienced mental health, and I discussed more of what that's been like for me, and I also include the resources that can help people who, who need uh, some assistance with dealing with mental illnesses.
1: And, uh we're talking about suicide today. Uh, what are some of the warnings of suicide?
3: So there are a lot of actual warning signs and ways that we can notice if someone is experiencing suicidal thoughts. I think some of the most prevalent ones, if someone starts giving away their personal belongings, so let's say that you have a friend and they give you their favorite baseball cards or they start giving you their clothes or private possessions, you might want to question why and what are they preparing to do. If someone has committed uh, any suicidal behaviors in the past or experienced a suicide attempt, that is a high warning sign that they might experience that again. If someone is talking directly about suicide or wanting to kill themselves, that is another one of the high factors of, of suicidal ideation.
2: Lizette, is there a definite method to predict suicide or suicidal behavior? I don't think there's a way to predict it, but there are some ways to
3: notice it more. Uh, So definitely if someone has attempted suicide in the past, that's a big indicator that potentially they're still suffering with some things. Uh, If there's a family history of trauma or depression or other mental illnesses, that's another big indicator that suicide might be occurring either in that person's
2: experience or friends or family. Well, what is the best way to respond to someone who is actually suicidal? I would say that the best way to
3: respond to someone who's talking about suicide or who is actively suicidal is to, to be non judgmental and to approach the situation with no shame. So it's, it's very hard for someone to admit that they are experiencing thoughts of suicide. So we want to let them know that we care about them, that we love them, and that we're going to be there to support them until they find the help that they
2: need. Wow. So what treatment um, works for people experiencing suicidal thoughts or different treatments in your opinion?
3: So the two treatments that have been proven by research to be the most effective with people who are experiencing suicidal ideation, there's two different types. There's cognitive behavioral therapy and there's dialectic behavioral therapy. Those are two different styles of therapy that are trained for different therapists to be able to utilize with people who are experiencing suicidal ideation, as well as working with the psychiatrist to roll out or rule in uh, maybe some medication for depression or anxiety.
1: Lizette, what is a 5150 hole? So
3: 5150 is the number of the section of the welfare institution code, which allows a person that's experiencing a severe mental challenge or su- suicidal ideation with a plan and intent to be involuntarily detained for 72 hours. So your therapist or a loved one can call 911 and they can take you to the hospital without your consent so that we can make sure that you are safe for 72 hours. Now, if if you are older, there are some situations with that consent. But most of the time, if if a firefighter comes out and they complete an assessment and you are actively suicidal, you will be taken to the hospital to ensure that someone is able to supervise you 24-7 and to make sure that you are safe.
1: Wow, you know, that's a lot of information. You know what, we're going to take a station break, but we're going to come back and continue our discussion with Lizette and Brain Jordan on. It's Your Life. I'm James Cooley.
2: And I'm Michelle Cooley. Available on Amazon and everywhere books are sold.
0: you can give online at CooleyFoundation.org. Remember that every donation makes a difference regardless of size. The JC Cooley Foundation thanks you in advance for your contribution. It's time to dream big, think big, and be big. It's time for more It's Your Life. Here's your host, James Cooley. Welcome back to It's Your Life. I'm James Cooley, and
1: while wow, we have a...
2: Michelle Cooley. <laughs> yeah.
1: And we have a discussion about just like I said, a, a topic that um, Uh, Listening audience should be paying attention to, because I mean, I think we all have thoughts. We all uh, think things when, or sometime go in depression when things are not going our way. And so uh, this is a a great uh, time to uh, learn a little bit more about that. Lizette, I I got a question. Um, Does um, and I know a lot of people probably thinking the same thing. Are there any biological factors that? Will increase a person's chance of uh, becoming suicidal.
3: Yes, there actually are. I feel like uh, you know most of the research shows us that when a person has a history, a generational history of mental illness in their family, that can increase their chances of also experiencing a mental illness, such as depression, such as anxiety, or even the more severe mental illnesses such as, you know, bipolar disorder or schizophrenia. So if, if someone comes already with those biological factors, it can be more inclined to suicidal ideation.
1: What about the, uh, the abuse of alcohol and drugs? Does that uh, also increase the suicidal
3: Yes, for sure. So, when anyone is abusing substances such as alcohol or drugs, you know, functioning becomes dependent on those substances. So, if those substances are not available or if they are abused to suppress any traumas or symptoms of depression, it can lead somebody on the path towards more risky suicidal behaviors.
1: Those. Everyone that uh, has suicidal thoughts uh, uh, need medication uh, uh, to help control that?
3: Yeah, so not necessarily. It depends on every person's idea of what support looks like. You know, some people might have more severe depression and might want the help of medication. Others might want to take a more natural approach and seek out therapy more frequently throughout the week.
1: You know, so... uh, it's been an increase uh, over the last year or so, and young young folks that uh, are actually committing suicides under the age of twenty five, and uh, mm-hmm. as as young as children's. You know, so um, how does mm-hmm. you know can children experience? I mean, I I believe that they they do, uh, but can they experience su- suicidal thoughts or if they yeah,
3: definitely for sure children can also experience thoughts of suicide. I had a a child one time come into my office. He was about five years old and he directly told me that he wanted to kill himself and he was able to verbalize why. So I definitely from experience know that children as young as that age know what death is and know what it means and will have suicidal thoughts.
1: Wow. You know, so, uh, if there are different type of treatments for a a child under 12 or all the way down to five like you're talking?
3: Yeah, so with children, for my preference, anybody 12 and younger, I would lean more towards play therapy. So what that means is we have, uh, at the office I work at, we have entire playrooms dedicated to working with children. So we would help them play out their feelings and their experiences of trauma instead of, talking about them as we would with adults.
1: What is a safety plan? I'm sorry? A safety plan.
3: Oh, a safety plan. So a safety plan is a written document that is created either with a person who is experiencing suicidal ideation at the hospital or with their assigned therapist. And it's basically listing the skills and tools that you can use to to help lessen your your desire to want to commit suicide in that moment by running down the list of exercises that you can help regulate your emotions. And it also includes safety phone numbers. So numbers to the suicide hotline numbers to the crisis text line, uh, the people that are closest to them that they can call for support. So it's all listed on one document so that they can refer to it whenever they need to.
1: Besides, talking to those who may be suicidal or encouraging them to seek counseling. Is there anything else that can be done?
3: I think what we're doing now, (laughs) spreading the knowledge, you know, making sure that people know what suicide is, how to prevent it, how to support people who are talking about suicide. As we know, knowledge is power. And the more that we spread the word about these things, the more that we'll be able to empathetically support the people who are talking about suicide
1: wow you know uh, this is a great great topic and knowledge is power Uh, as much as uh, we can put the word out and others do the same thing we can probably help prevent uh, some of these thoughts and also uh, provides resources and help you know so Or are some people at a higher risk of suicide than others?
3: I think definitely yes. People who have experienced trauma or who have severe depression, I feel, are more at risk. Uh, also, uh, you know, a lot of research shows that poverty is is a big indicator for suicide. Not not everyone, but people who experience difficulties with our basic needs, such as housing, you know, food shortages, lack of access to health care, I think there's a higher risk of suicide with those sorts of crises.
1: Wow. You know, I tell you, Lizette, uh, we're going to go to our next guest, uh, but we're going to bring you back in the, in the last segment. You know, So uh, uh, thanks so much, but we'll be seeing, uh, talking to you again in, in a few minutes. Uh, Michelle, uh, would you mind reading our next guest's bio? Well, I think we kind of lost so, so I'm going to do the honors. <laughs> first of all, this is a very good friend of mine, both of them. Uh, Jordan, uh, just like I mentioned to you when we first started the show, that um, he is a graduate of uh, USC, but also he is a graduate of, of Penn, the University of Pennsylvania. So he's one of those brilliant guys. <laughs> but Jordan is from Maylandon, a small city with a big, wealthy disparity of outside of the Atlantic City, which is New Jersey. He received uh, his BA in classical studies from the University of Pennsylvania and a Master's of Marriage and Family Therapy from the University of Southern California. He is also a first-generation philosopher with a strong preference for using science to solve modern psychological questions. Jordan currently works as an assistant techn- technology specialist within the uni- within the, the disability services programs at USC. In this position, he provides assistance, technology solutions to disabled-related Learning challenges while also maintaining a caseload study of over two hundred students—very busy man, you know. So Jordan uh, is is going to help us uh, through and pick up with uh, what what Lizette was doing. So welcome to the show, Jordan.
4: Thanks, Jesse. You're uh, you're too kind to me. <laughs> I I really appreciate it.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Jordan, can you tell our listening audience um, a little bit about yourself uh, uh, and how is a uh, growing up in Mayland in New Jersey?
4: Yeah. Uh, So I am a biracial male. So I grew up in Mayland in New Jersey, and it really is like a small town outside of Atlantic City. But there is very, very different populations living very close to each other. So uh, when I was in high school, when I was in elementary school, there were people whose families made over $100,000 And then in the same school, same class, there'd be people whose families make under uh, $15,000. So it was a really interesting melting pot of different populations growing up. So I saw a big gambit of things. But I personally grew up in a household, uh, single-parent household with my mother and two of my sisters uh, who are older. I have actually six total sisters. I'm the youngest of seven. And the two that lived with us, we, they also had two children, their boyfriends, and then my mother and them also had a lot of friends who would uh, randomly stay in the house and things like that. So it was a big, big family inside of a small household, I'll say that. And growing up there, it's, it's had a lot of influences on me as a person. I know just being surrounded by the amount of like substance abuse, mental health issues that come along with the wealth disparity, and those type of areas, especially when you're right outside of one of the main gambling hubs of the nation, uh, there is a lot of mental health concerns. And so, growing up around that, it was it was very interesting and really shaped my development, but um, gave me a really good perspective when I went over to the University of Pennsylvania, like. Uh, jc you're talking about it was an interesting experience because there was a lot of different wealth disparities again and it showed me a whole different side of what mental health could look like for uh wealthier individuals
1: wow you know i tell you uh hold that thought because well, we're gonna take a station break but we're gonna come back and and dab off into the mental health aspect of this it's your life i'm james cooley
0: you can give online at CooleyFoundation.org. Remember that every donation makes a difference regardless of size. The J.C. Cooley Foundation thanks you in advance for your contribution. It's time to dream big, think big, and be big. It's time for more It's Your Life. Here's your host, James Cooley.
1: Welcome back to It's your Life. I'm James Cooley, and I tell you, uh, uh, Jordan, uh, uh, I I would listen to that story you were telling us about your your upbringing and, and, and your... You're the youngest of six and the only boy, you know, so, but uh, you're doing great things. And tell us, when did you develop the interest uh, and wanted to pursue mental health?
4: Yeah. uh, So I have always really been surrounded by mental health issues. Uh, Like I was saying, you know, just the environment that I came from, a lot of individuals in my family have mental health concerns. I myself have mental health uh, disorders. And, you know, when I was 12, I actually attempted suicide. And that's really when I got introduced to mental health Um, and, like, the whole processes of therapy and things. And then I had another episode later on in life. But after experiencing those things and being around so many people of so many different cultures, backgrounds, uh, like wealth and opportunities, I really started to recognize that everybody struggles throughout life. Everybody struggles, and I wanted to figure out why. I really wanted to figure out how I could help people and how the experiences that I had could help me understand how to help them get through the experiences that they have. And so when I was at Penn, I decided to take a a psychology class that really sent me on my pathway. Um, It was abnormal psychology, and the professor was great. So once I, I had that class, I started thinking about the people that I lived with. And I would always talk with them very late at night, maybe two, three in the morning. And seeing all these things, I really was like, oh, you know, people experiencing struggle, even the strongest people, even the people who think, you know, nothing can hurt me, they hurt and they hurt in their own special way. And just being introduced to that really pushed me towards a mental health field. Wow.
1: You know, uh, young adults commit suicide at a higher rate than others. Why do why you think that that is
4: that? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of reasons, but I would primarily say it's the ideas of worthlessness that come out of so much social pressure and then a lot of difficulties with the lack of support that they may have, uh, whether that's between connection with parents, connection with friends, connection with their environment. Um, but another big factor with young adults and teens is that their brain isn't fully developed yet. Your brain doesn't fully finish it, finish like developing your, your frontal area that makes decisions until you're in your late twenties. And so in that there's a lot of aspects where you may not be able to fully make decisions that are long-term decisions. You may be experiencing something that seems like it's going to last for a long time. And this pain and the way that you're dealing with everything else coming along, uh, that really isn't able to be tapped into and processed the same way. And so suicide comes out of all of that just because of the way that it compounds and really impacts everything about the brain and the perfect storm with young people.
2: The societal expectations of academic success impacting the mental health of teens and young adults?
4: Yeah, I mean, I see it as one of the major factors here. So as we move on in, like, our society and kids get older, academics become something that is just such a significant societal push towards success, and many young kids, whether they're coming from uh, low economic backgrounds or high economic backgrounds, parents really tend to think, You know, if my kid goes to school and does well and succeeds academically, they're going to have a better life. And so these social expectations that then trickle down to the kids of, I need to get that A. Everything is so competitive. If I don't get into an Ivy League school, my life is over and I'll never have a job and I'll be poor and live this life forever. Um, And so it really compounds on that aspect of just success and failure. And failure in academics is going to come. You're never going to be the best A-plus student all the time. You know, you won't always be the smartest person in the room. And when you're expecting that, that failure can really impact the idea of perfectionism. And so it then starts to spiral because they start to feel the shame of maybe letting down expectations or not living up to these expectations and being worthless because of these expectations.
2: Can family discord and connectedness be a factor in increase in suicide? If so, um, please explain.
4: Yeah, uh, I would say 100%. Uh, there was a really important study done in the 90s uh, that resulted in the adverse childhood experience scale, which basically goes through and looks at the way that children and anyone really has developed their attachment style from the very different traumas that they've experienced. And so when you're you're looking at the way that somebody develops an attachment to their parents or their caregivers or even other uh, relationships there, it really does come out to affect the way that their brain develops. So children, their, brain are de- their brains are developing and all these, if there's family discord and they're not making good, uh, connections with their parents or who, whomever it may be that's taking care of them, they're starting to to really have these brain impacts that then lead on to the ability to really deal with outside traumas that happen later on in life, how they deal with the way that things come up, and it impacts the way that they cope. And so when your family, there's actually a lot of different psycho, uh, psychotherapeutic theories on this type of, uh, structural like development. And it really is checking on the connectedness and the, the disconnect that occurs between families that then lead to young adults and children and even adults committing suicide or having mental health concerns in general.
2: Wow. So what are some things that college students can do if they're feeling depressed or suicidal?
4: Uh, well, that's a great question. I would say first and foremost, tell somebody, anybody, um, whether that's a faculty member, so your professor, whether that's, uh, you know, a staff member that you might just be meeting with your academic advisor, it could be a friend or, you know, the most important one is really visiting the counseling center. Most universities, uh, and it, uh, at this point it should be all universities, have a 24-7 crisis line that is there for anyone who needs it if they're having significant mental health concerns, periods of psychosis, and suicide. And so those resources exist, and it's really important to look at it from the perspective that, that colleges and friends and the experience of college, everybody wants people to succeed. They want to thrive there. And colleges themselves are actually pretty beholden to the students to support them if they find out that there is thoughts of, like, suicide or if there's mental health concerns. The school really is pushed towards making sure that that's identified or that they have the resources that they, they require as long as they know of it. Now, if there's, you know, if, no, if you don't ever speak out and you don't ever tell anybody and you just, it's held in, then it's going to be very, very difficult to get the resources that are needed.
1: Jordan, is there a connection between social media and the increase in suicide among young adults?
4: Yeah, there, there definitely is. It, the research is showing increasingly that social media and other technologies such as cell phones are really, really impactful on depression, mental health, suicide. There's actually a study that came out from San Diego State University down by UJC and in the in the studio that identified that the daily rate of social media and cell phone use is a pretty good predictor of depression and suicidal tendencies. So this specific study actually found that of all the participants, 48% of the people who use social media or their cell phones, five hours a day had suicidal thoughts or significantly depressed features. So I would definitely say it's a big, big impactor on the the rise of suicide these days.
1: There is a lot of talk about copycat effect around suicide. Can you explain this to our listening audience?
4: Yeah, and this actually goes right hand in hand with the connection between social media, because the copycat effect is a theory that really talks about the way that suicides happen in clusters. And so when the media presents a suicide, it's most noticeable in young adults as well, because when celebrities commit suicide or members of their high school commit suicide, they see that this is a a viable option. And now there's a, a bunch of different ways that they connect to that. One may be that they see it in the media and think, oh, okay, so this is the way that you deal with this type of situation. They also can look at it in the media and see Okay, you know, I feel similar to that, so maybe I should follow along with that. That's an actual thing that I can do. And then another way is that sometimes they're just really depressed, and they're not thinking of ending their life. But then when they see this in the media, they, they have the ability to copy it because now it's, oh, that is something that could happen. I couldn't end my life, and this would all be over
2: So Jordan, what are some of the things people should not do if they are worried about someone who's in danger of suicide?
4: Well, I mean, that is a a real phenomenal question because one of those things I would say is definitely do not guilt the person into staying alive. And so what I mean by that is saying things like, oh, you have so much to live for. Why would you commit suicide? Oh, Don't like, how will your family feel if you commit suicide? How will I feel if you commit suicide? And these might be really easy things to go to and to think about because it's like, okay, you know, these are motivating. But in reality, the person who's feeling that way, when they hear something like that, it may actually make them feel much more shameful about the thoughts that they have and make it more possible for them to think, wow, I'm letting them down right now in this moment and maybe I should just end it. So I stop letting them down overall. Uh, so I would definitely say that's, that's the number one thing to do to not do. Uh, and I would also say it's, it's not helpful to brush it away either. So to say something like, Oh, just snap out of it. Oh, it's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. Um, because those types of things really are dismissing. And so somebody who's reaching out for help by saying, you know, I'm feeling suicide or I might be feeling really depressed. When you say something like that, it's like, oh, I guess it doesn't really matter to you. Wow.
1: You know what? That's great information. But we're going to take a station break, but we're going to come back and continue our discussion with Jordan Colbert. And we're also going to bring Lizette Lopez back. It's your life. I'm James Cooley.
2: And I'm Michelle Cooley.
0: You can give online at CooleyFoundation.org. Remember that every donation makes a difference regardless of size. The J.C. Cooley Foundation thanks you in advance for your contribution. It's time to dream big, think big, and be big. It's time for more It's Your Life. Here's your host, James Cooley. Welcome back to It's Your Life. I'm
1: James Cooley. And wow, I tell you, Jordan, you, you, you was really putting it out there and uh our listening audience is, is getting a lot of information well needed information uh but uh Jordan, I, I I tell you now what can a friend say a friend uh conveying someone that have any suicidal thoughts? what would be some of the things that that person uh, might be able to help uh his friend with
4: yeah so the I would say to help a friend, the first thing that's really important is to listen. Um, like Lizette said, listening is key because when somebody is reaching out and asking for support, um, or is exhibiting signs of suicidal behavior or depressive behavior, the, the one thing that is really important is to make them feel valued and understood and to show them that there is people that care and that they do have value. And it's to and to do that, you actually have to listen. And instead of saying, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to provide you with, you know, the right support. I'm going to be here for you. That's something that is also really important to say. Instead of giving solutions like, oh, well, why are you depressed? How about we change this? Why are you suicidal? Well, how about we change this? Those are not things that are beneficial, but something that that really does help is when you listen and then you follow through. So listening and then when you say I'm here to support you, really be there to support them. And that may mean, you know, helping them connect to resources. That may be just, you know, answering a phone call when they call, just knowing that this is something that I'm here for because nothing is more isolating than me here. I'm here to help you, and then they're not there when you need them.
2: Jordan, can you tell this in the audience, what does suicide contagion mean?
4: Yeah, so suicide contagion is a little bit, it's very similar to the copycat effect. It is essentially one of those, uh, terms that capture all of it. So it may not just be media. So copycat effect really comes from like media presence where they see it out there and then decide that that might be something that works for them. Suicide contagion is more understanding the way that family dynamics work and how, you know, your family may be impacting suicide. You may have family history that has suicide. You may, and it's really working to identify those, the, those that are the most impacted by suicide and suicidal ideation in their immediate vicinity.
2: Well, Jordan, what if someone who is suicidal, but refuses help, what can you do?
4: Well, Like Lizette said, this is, this is something that is important, but you can call the police or you can call nine one one to come and help them. Now they may be upset and refusing help saying, no, I don't want you to help. I'm suicidal. And I want to, you know, I want to commit suicide. But in reality, from a psychological perspective, the fact that they let anyone know that they're going to commit suicide or that they're feeling this way is the real cry for help. And they might refuse that service today, but in the long run, they will be very, very thankful that someone took the time to see that they mattered and made sure they got help versus just, leaving them after they said no you know that's not what i want
1: i want to bring both of you guys on at the same time and i got a question for both how can the public continue to create conversation and opportunity uh, in the communities around mental health other than what we're doing right now
3: i think one of one of the big uh, things that i have noticed recently that's become a big thing is training teachers and staff in mental health first aid. So I'm actually a mental health first aid trainer and we teach, you know, teachers, staff workers, office workers, administration, we teach them how to be able to have these conversations and notice the changes in student behaviors. I think it's you know it's one thing for us to tell people, you know, don't be scared of asking people about suicide, but the minute somebody says, "Yes, I'm suicidal," then what do we do? You know, a teacher is not trained to know how to handle that. And office administrators are usually not trained on how to handle that until someone comes in and gives them these skills. So I think the more that we continue to educate everyone about having these open discussions and readily knowing what services are available, I think we can reach more people that way.
4: What about you, John? Yeah, I would say uh, just by really raising awareness and supporting local uh, local and national organizations. So there are many, many organizations that are nationally recognized, such as National Alliance for Mental Health um, and the Suicide Prevention Network that operate at a national level but have local chapters uh, within major communities. And so really supporting them, making them more, uh, more accessible. Those are some things that can really help because they, once their organization has really got a hold on the community, they can do some super beautiful things to, to support their, their community that they have become involved
2: in. Uh, why do you both think that the race and suicide has been increasing since COVID-19? So many things. I
3: think, you know, the biggest impact, of course, is financial. At the beginning of my discussion, I talked about poverty and the effects of poverty on suicidal ideation. If parents are not able to provide the basic needs for their for their children, you know, suicide might appear appealing as a way out. And as we know, with, with COVID-19, a lot of people lost their jobs especially, you know, the the immigrant population who works in service industries, such as bartending, waitressing, most of the jobs that are shut down right now. So a lot of people's living situations have become a huge burden, and I can see how depression and suicide rates have been impacted by this.
1: What about you, Jordan?
4: Jordan? Yeah, I mean, just to go hand in hand with that, the isolation Now, everybody is forced to stay away from their friends and family because of COVID. The risk is really high whenever you're uh, going to see family or friends. Sometimes it may be very difficult to connect over the Internet. Um, And so this isolation has put people in a position where there's a lot of opportunity for them to reflect on the things that they do not like about themselves, that they do not like about life. Um, And those when you're in that isolation box, you're just kind of saying everything to yourself or going on social media and you can be validated by these feelings of worthlessness. Um, So that is a major, major factor. And then I guess, you know, you can also say it's the fact that there is just significant anxiety that is around right now in terms of going out and getting COVID. And the world can be very, very overwhelming at this point along with all the things that are happening in the background of COVID-19. Okay.
1: Another question for both of you guys. What do you believe is the most prevalent stressor involved in suicide? We're going to start with you first, Jordan.
4: I would say uh, relationships. I think relationships and the interconnectedness between individuals is a huge, huge, huge uh, stressor on somebody's ability to feel worth like to feel worth and to feel connection. And when you're isolated, that's when your worth uh, starts to diminish in your own mind. And so when these connections like are there and and very positive, they may end whether that's through, you know, somebody dying, whether that's through a romantic relationship ending um, or even, you know, Situations of like a, a, a family member, uh, animal dying, you know, that serious, serious lack of connection and loss is important and puts a huge stressor on the mind. What about you, Lizette?
3: I definitely think that relationship, as Jordan discussed, is one of the biggest contributing factors. A lot of the research shows that loneliness is so heavy on a person's psychological state. I would also say that trauma, you know, remembering traumatic experiences and depression. I think when somebody has a severe depressive state, uh, suicide might appear to be the only way out for some people.
1: Wow. You know, we're coming on toward the end of the show, but I always like to give uh, our listening audience, uh, I mean, you guys can tell them how they, if they need to get in touch with you all or reach you all, uh, how can they do that? Uh, let's begin with you, Lizette.
3: So I have my website uh, where people can obtain the information for my private practice, and that's ehwspa.org. It stands for Emotional Health Wellness spa.org. And my Instagram name: Lisette Lopez L M F T, and my direct private practice. A phone number where you can reach me directly for a consult is 562-644-5701. That's my direct cell phone line for any psychological uh, consult. Again, that's 562-644-5701.
1: And you, Jordan?
4: Yeah, so you can connect with me uh, either via email at j. T C O L B E R T at Opticity, so that's a that's a difficult word. O P I S P I T Y uh, dot or X P dot com, and then also at Twitter, uh, my handle is at J O C O A T P. So at Joco ATP.
1: Wow, you know I I, I would like to thank. Uh my great guests, uh, Lizette Lopez and Jordan Colbert, uh, for taking the time to come on, air, and educate uh, us all on the depressions uh, that might cause a uh, suicidal and any other things that deal with mental health that we talked about today. So, hey, thank you so much uh, for for doing this. We got to do this again real soon. I also like to thank uh, my beautiful wife Michelle for taking the time to co-host this but always keep in mind that we are always looking for sponsors so we can continue to bring this great message and other messages to you all so um you know it's your life and it's all about your life uh until next week you know keep smiling you know stay relaxed we'll see you it's your life i'm james cooley
0: Thanks for joining us for It's Your Life with James Cooley. To learn more about James, how you can support the show, or become a guest, visit CooleyFoundation.org. That's CooleyFoundation.org. Join James next week at this same time for more motivation and inspiration to help you become equipped today for the challenges of tomorrow. This has been It's Your Life, where you learn how to dream big, think big, and be big.